I recently got a message on social media from a student who is looking for a job in the beverage industry. And I thought it would be interesting to hear about his struggles and challenges that he's facing finding a job in the industry, what attracts him to the industry and about his studies because he did specialize in marketing in the drinks industry. My name is Holger Meyer and this is Drinks World. So today's guest is Markus Filter. Markus is a graduate from Stellenbosch University and uh, yeah, welcome to the show, Markus. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. So Markus, tell us a little bit about yourself. You grew up in Durban, but uh, you live in Stellenbosch now in Cape Town. Yeah, um, so grew up in Durban, um, first in the city, then eventually moved to Hillcrest, um, which really was a lovely area. Um, and then after finishing my um, matric at Hillcrest High School, I um, or my family moved to, to Cape Town, um, at which time I also started studying at Stellenbosch. And I initially um, studied BAC, but soon um, realized the passion for more the business side of things and marketing and innovation. So, yeah, made that jump and um, followed that academic journey for quite a few years. Uh, firstly, yeah, undergrad, then moved on to doing a honors, um, also at Stellenbosch, and ultimately a master's, um, which I have recently wrapped up. It's been a long and very interesting journey. And why Stellenbosch? The whole idea of a student life uh, really appealed to me there, whereas in my head, the other universities are a bit more embedded in bigger cities. Um, so it really excited me just to get an experience in like a very studenty place. Um, and it's very beautiful there. So. Yeah, I love going to Stellenbosch and pretend that I'm a student with a little bit more money than a student. So I can actually yeah. go into the, to the restaurants and buy some coffee and enjoy some beers. Um, now, when, when did you get interested in the, in the beverage industry? My eyes really got opened when I moved to Cape Town and kind of got exposed to the whole craft beer culture here. Um, even at that time, it was still, yeah, I mean, it's not nearly as big as, as it was today, but it really excited me to see how many possibilities there are. And then I think from an academic point of view, um, it really started with some of my undergrad projects. Um, so I think it was in second year, I chose um, to do a project on CBC. Just um, really enjoyed the, the branding. Um, and then later on, I think in my final undergrad year, um, we got the chance to do a project with um, the Dutchess, uh, Virgin Gin and Tonic, which had just launched around that time. And um, that really opened my eyes to yeah, the business side of things. And um, also, uh, I think it made me realize there's a lot of very interesting challenges and opportunities in that area um, and I was able to further explore that with my topic during um, my honors year. I was very fortunate that I got to work on a, a topic um, making wine more appealing to younger generations um, 
yeah, Gen Y and now Gen Z, uh, because yeah, there was a lot of growth potential down. Um, statistically, um, in wine consumption increases over life lifespan. Um, so kind of more older generations drink more wine. Um, so if you capture younger audiences now, you're likely going to have a lifetime lifetime um, consumer. So that was a very uh, interesting um, study and. During that study, I, I also started to think about what what other opportunities there are in the alcohol industry because it's, I mean, it's something that's been around for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. Um, so, yeah, a lot has been done, but there's always room for more innovation and new directions. Um, and a big trend I found there is that, ironically, the biggest opportunity for growth in the alcohol industry is uh, no alcohol or lower non-alcoholic beverages. So okay. um, <clears throat> that that kind of inspired me to look at that industry um, um, and it eventually boiled down to me choosing de-alkalized wine as a topic for my master's. Okay, that's very interesting. Now you mentioned um, two of my favorite brands there, the Dutchess and CBC, um, and Johannes has been on the podcast twice already. Um, interestingly, he contacted me when he launched the brand because he he previously had launched a brand called Branas, which was a, a brandy and coke ready to drink on tap offering. And when he launched um, the Duchess, he didn't really know the route to market for for retail. So I assisted him in launching that brand into the into the retail trade. That was a really good uh, project and and. Uh, I must say I'm really proud to be even slightly associated with the brand because they've done fantastically. Yeah, and they're also one of the the earliest um, before a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon. So. Yeah, it's 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 so hard to to get original ideas like that, and uh, but it's also so easy for established companies to copy ideas like that. Yeah, so I've I've seen that over the years. There's there's a lot of guys that are really good at copying concepts and, and bringing them to market very quickly. So they'll see a good idea, copy it and bring it to market because they've got that all the resources and the infrastructure to do that. So it's a, it's a, it's a really big threat for, for young creative entrepreneurs, I guess. Yeah. Now Stellenbosch for me has always been the center of the drinks industry in South Africa. I suppose Cape Town as well and there's a lot of innovation and a lot of the the old school are based there do they interact with the students or with the university to to get graduates to join their companies or what is the situation there uh so i think first of all it's important to i think realize that there are very few opportunities mm. Especially in such well-established um, industries, and I think industries that are also quite built on um, being family businesses. Um, so yeah, uh, it's not, in my experience, not um, that widely available. But um, I think there's a strong affiliation, um, yeah, between the wine farms and the university and. Um, I think uh, I had the pleasure of working with um, my supervisor for both Prof Pence and um, he's in the business management department but is very affiliated with the wine department 
and the wine biotech department. Um, so through that connection, I I did get quite a lot of exposure to yeah, more the wine business side of things, um, and have yeah had a few chances to interact with those departments and um, profs from those departments. But yeah, it's not yeah directly. Um, it's it has been a bit hard to get opportunities. But, mm. Okay. Um, I think it's also now the timing in a post lockdown pandemic state. Um, yeah, I think that shrunk the possibility a bit more because um, I think it was very hard to even keep afloat during that time, especially yeah. in the wine wine industry. Mm. Maybe we should talk about uh, the research you did in your masters. Uh, yeah, so um, it was an idea that that took quite a long time to develop, um, and the main reason being is, uh, firstly, it was it's still quite a new space, and secondly, from a consumer behavior point of view, there was essentially no research um, at all. Um, there was yeah some research done more scientifically about the processes and dealkalization. Um, but from a marketing or consumer behavior point of view, um, very little was available. So it was quite a difficult thing to get going because um, starting a, a master's or um, pitching to do a master's study is quite a big task and needs to be backed by uh, a lot of yeah, research and reasoning. Uh, so yeah, it, but I stuck to it and eventually the ball got rolling and I knew that it was a, to a topic that would become more popular and develop over that, that time of doing the masters um, over the two years. So I knew that probably by the end of it, I'm gonna hit the sweet spots of, of the kind of relevance of this research. Um, so yeah, I, I got the chance to present um, my idea to the department beginning of 2020, um, ironically, and yeah, everyone was very supportive and um, also encouraging to do pioneering research. Um, and I was very excited to take that journey, even though I knew it would probably be a bit more stretched out and delayed, just yeah, difficulty finding innovation and backing up um, yeah, my claims and kind of getting deeper insights into the background of this whole industry. Um, but yeah, in the, over the two years that I did the masters, I really learned a lot and I could see every month um, there was more and more being written about dealkalized wine, particularly. Um, because I think as well, people realized that um, beer, uh, I mean, alcohol-free beer and the other alcohol-free products were doing so well, um, kind of also catapulted by the alcohol band. And I think that's opened up the, the door for the alkalized wine. Um, but it, it's from the get go, it was, became clear to me that it's also the, the uh, one product in the category that's probably going to be the hardest to market and sell um, for a few reasons. I think it's that's the product that's kind of uh, people are most skeptical about um, as opposed to beer 
and those sort of things and other alternative drinks. For me to understand that dealkalized wine is not grape juice, I think is is quite a quite a big challenge. Yes, yes. It was very interesting to read up on that because I think the general public, including myself before all of this, um, don't really know a lot about about um, dealkalized wine and what goes into it. So, yeah, I think that's the general perception that. There's no difference between that or grape juice, but mm. um, I've now obviously had the chance to to look into it a lot more than the average person would, um, and I I really learned a lot about the processes and how it developed. So, kind of initially in the earlier days, it would be um, there would be a lot of blending, kind of that does involve grape juice. So. Um, mixing normal wine and grape juice, or using special types of yeast, um, immobilized yeast that kind of stops um, ethanol from being produced. And that eventually led to um, processes which used heat to evaporate the alcohol. Um, issue being that, that has all of those have a very negative effect on taste, mm. which I think formed like the initial perceptions of the alkalized wine, um, but in recent years, there've been a lot of scientific kind of leaps um, with membrane technology. Um, so they call the processes reverse osmosis, or um, one that came up a lot and was quite popular in my research is the spinning uh, cone technique, where essentially it's stacks of discs where the liquid gets spun and then the extract um, of the wine gets taken out. Uh, so all the flavor, all the nutrients, um, and that gets added back in. So I think it's it's developed a lot over the years, maybe not perfect yet, but um, there's been a lot more focus on preserving the nutrients and the flavor um, and doing the processes at lower heats um, which is also less wasteful then because you, know, mm. you don't have to evaporate um, your product essentially. I was exposed or first exposed to the the industry about 20 years ago when I was working with Bavaria Breweries and we launched a product called Bavaria 0.5 and that was something to do about where they stopped the brewing process so it was very sweet there was still a lot of sugars in the in the beer yeah. which hadn't fermented and I think it was the first very low alcohol or non-alcoholic beer that was it's not correct but it was the first first one that I worked with there was when I was at school there was a product by SAB and that was called Barbie Can um, they launched a non-alcoholic beer when I was at school so that's in the in the mid 80s um, but yeah, this Bavaria 0.5 was interesting and they obviously copied a concept from, from Germany where they have these high um, sugar content beers which they then um, promoted as after sports drinking isotonic drinks oh. for, for the sportsmen, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they were so good for us general people because they, <laughs> they had so much sugar in it. But yeah, they, I was exposed to that very early on. Um, Marcus, when in the, 
in my work with with the growing categories within within bottle stores, I, I started picking up the non alcoholic spirits coming in. The first one I found was in in the states, and there was somebody importing it, um, and they had a whole range of non alcoholic spirits, um, but very expensive. So it it was, yeah. and the guy that brought them in had um i think religious reasons for not drinking so yeah. he was prepared to pay whatever it costs to to still have a brandy and coke or a rum and coke and be part of the social scene but not drink and um, that's obviously developed a lot since then so i started working with some of the leading bottle stores and we started obviously i started with the craft beer and then the craft gin revolution and when these non-alcoholic spirits came out, I started with those. Building categories, we added non-alcoholic beers, obviously, and then the first wines came in as well. Um, but the response wasn't fantastic. Um, yeah. And I think somebody at SAB once said, if we come up with a, a product, we've done our research, we know it will sell, we'll grow the category, and then the others can follow. So don't be... A, don't, don't be upset if, if we as SAB get into a category because the whole category will grow. And I think that happened with the with the non-alcoholic beers. Certainly when yes. Castle Zero um, or Castle Free was launched and Heineken Zero, the whole category grew, grew. And then Savannah came. I think Savannah was also a fantastic product. Um, and obviously the timing of the lockdowns um, catapulted this whole um category um but my impression was that after the lockdowns it pretty much collapsed again yeah unfortunately i think i also have noticed that um, even though it was meant to be the next big thing um or gained a lot of momentum but i think it's still a huge advantage that i think a lot of people that wouldn't have generally even considered trying any of these have now been exposed mm. so I think the awareness side of things um, has at least grown a lot so. yeah we've certainly taken up Savannah and non-alcoholic beers in our repertoire in our drinking at home and yeah. uh, um, I mean I still struggle to pay 35 or 40 rand for a non-alcoholic product yeah. if I'm out one is more price sensitive I think to non-alcoholic products than the alcoholic product okay I interrupted you and I'm not sure if you finished with your your f story about your your master's degree I really um, wanted to take an approach that um, isn't too I guess airy-fairy and heavily academic where I mean no where the outcome is that only academics read it and doesn't really have an impact so I wanted to take the approach of making things that the endpoint is as simple and as practical as possible um, so I took the approach of looking at dealkalized wine from three main um, like marketing and consumer behavior concepts which is motives perceptions and preferences so I think um, the main thing essentially there's understanding what what are the main things that draw people to um, dealkalized wine? Or what are the main things that um, kind of deter them? So that was looking at motives and the concept of motives. 
as a force uh, towards and away from something. And I thought it was especially um, important to consider what what drives people away because of the kind of general negative stigma attached to DL class one and the negative response to it. Um, and then secondly, um, I wanted to I wanted the output to be like, okay, now in a buying situation, you're standing in a shop or yeah, looking looking at, at uh, what's available, what are the main things people look at? That's where preferences came in, um, in terms of attributes importance. So kind of, uh, I came up or trickled down to a list of 13 attributes um, that people might consider as most important when buying um, a DL class wine. And these are both intrinsic and extrinsic things like uh, taste, price, uh, the labels, the uh, medal award, the brand name, uh, kind of the label, all of that stuff. Um, and lastly, I just wanted to address the uh, perceptions um, because I think there were a lot of uh, mainly negative perceptions about it and I just wanted to explore that further. Um, and also, I mean, things like non-alcoholic drinks being more feminine or them being overpriced or them being poor quality. So those are the sort of things that I looked at. Um, and I mean, the end result is nice because it tells you exactly what's most relevant and what's most important, um, which made it a lot easier to give kind of uh, managerial implications and recommendations. So I think I'm very happy with how it turned out. Um, and it's been quite well received at, um, I did a conference a few months ago and um, also had the chance to speak at the Ultimate Beverage Show at the CTICC, um, where, yeah, it was great there to, to also talk directly to some of the producers um, and kind of share that research with them. And um, I think in a way that's quite easily actionable for them as well. So yeah, that's that's kind of the approach I took and quite happy with, with how it turned out. Um, and yeah, I think m making research more palatable is important um, because now my my thesis document, um, I have it here somewhere. It's 250 pages long. No normal person's gonna read that. So um, it was also important for me to, to do things like presentations at conferences or at beverage shows. And I mean, doing podcasts like this, I think presents that research in a much more consumable way. Mm. Because it's gonna be hard for anyone to Read, yeah, or no one's going to be interested in reading a 250-page document. Um, so yeah, that's been my approach. Um, and I've recently also written a journal article for the British Food Journal, um, which was one of my main sources throughout my, my research. Um, and I think that's also a good way to share the research in a more condensed, straightforward way instead of yeah, an exploded document like that. Mm. Are those available to read somewhere? Can we put links in the show notes? 
My um, <clears throat> my uh, full thesis is now uploaded onto the um, Sun Scholar, the Stellenbosch um, kind of library. Uh, so that's the full document. Um, I do have a a um, a paper I did for the conference that's focusing mainly on uh, the motive side of things. And um, my journal articles now in the final stages of um, being reviewed, I've yeah, had the chance to go through all of the, the notes and um, feedback and yeah, that should hopefully be published soon. Um, we'll put links to that in the, in the show notes then. Thank you, thanks. So Marcus, what, what is it like as a as a graduate now in 2022 to find a job in the in the beverage industry or where are you looking for a job it's it's been extremely it's been a daunting task um i think i've been having been in the academic industry for so long um i think even though it's hard work there's a certain comfort to it and kind of thought of like, um, I'll be, I'll probably be fine. Like, um, I'm working hard now. I'm getting good qualifications. I'm going the extra mile. But I think that perception of mine was shattered very early on. Um, and this isn't just exclusive to the beverage industry. Um, I've kind of approached different industries, um, also different areas of marketing and, uh, different levels of jobs and it's been yeah really sobering um or a reality check to see um the demand or the the kind of amount of people looking for jobs right now um and i think i've realized that um practical experience in any industry is very highly valued and sought after um even though uh, I have yeah, all these degrees now and stuff, um, in terms of real world experience, that's been holding me back a bit and it's been eye-opening to, to kind of see where the industry is and um, also realizing that it's not necessarily, necessarily straightforward trying to get a foot in the door somewhere. Um, so in my, my opinion, um, when people say you don't have enough experience, it's one of those obstacles. So people look for, you know, the, they just take the easiest excuse not to employ you. So you're yeah. either, either you're the wrong color or you don't have enough experience or you got, you're overqualified or you're underqualified. I mean, I think they, they all got those, those excuses in their hand and they, they pick any one of them. I don't think anybody is really employing unless um, you're making a difference to the bottom line. And I think yeah. that's where we have to search. And when I started, it was, for me, it was the natural foot in was as a salesperson, because then you can see I've sold a hundred cases or I've sold 10 cases and they measure your worth in, in terms of that. In a marketing position, you're much further removed and the results f are so much harder to, to measure and, and understand and to see, you know, is the effort worth the reward? So in terms of, of your, 
your skill set or your interests. We look at the different aspects of marketing. What interests you most? So, yeah, that, that's been another thing that's, that this whole um, post-graduation journey um, has taught me is that there are a hell of a lot of um, different areas to go into. Um, and yeah, it's been quite hard to, to choose, even though, um, yeah, I think I know what I like and what I'm good at. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but still, it's a very diverse um, kind of market. Uh, but I would say to me, um, firstly, to me, I, I've always enjoyed research. And I think that um, research can, can uh, form a part of many different roles and is important in most areas of marketing. Um, and I think what, what I've generally liked the most and got the most excited about um, in the research and marketing field is the strategic side of things. And um, within that uh, strategic side of things, a central theme to me is always insights, um, gaining insights, uh, and then the exciting part is also then knowing how to act on those insights. And I think that that forms a big part of the marketing industry, um, whether it's brand development or um, advertising or, yeah, anything really. Um, I think it's important to always have insights and gather information and research and not just um, yeah, shoot into the dark because I think these days everything is quite hyperly personalized and um, <clears throat> yeah, needs to be up to date and on top of things. So I'd say that strategic kind of direction and the insights direction has excited me. Um, and yeah, I think as well, um, I've come across quite a lot of jobs more into the direction of digital marketing um, this this uh, past three, few months. Um, and it's also made me realize that that is something that also forms part of a lot of different areas of marketing or marketing jobs is being aware of um, how things have changed and how reaching consumers has changed quite a lot. Um, so it's re kind of reignited my interest in the digital side of things. Because um, I also, pre-doing my master's, I had the chance to do a course at UCT in digital marketing. So yeah, I think that that's an area that also interests me. Um, and I think is important skills to have regardless of where which area you work or, mm. uh, or which industries. Again, I think that is probably much easier to measure. So if you, yeah. you know, if you spend X amount of rounds, you can immediately see the returns. And uh, again, it's an easier, easier job to get because it's measurable. Marcus, just before we carry on, can you just talk a little bit about the extra courses you did? You did some stuff in... Was it in Holland or in Belgium? In Belgium, yeah. Um, so during my um, honours, very much to my surprise and delight, um, we were told that 
we were um, nominated to to go to a summer course in Belgium. So it was me um, and three other students. And it turns out so um, it was a reward for doing well in undergrad. And I wasn't aware of this at the time, but I was the um, highest achieving marketing student um, in, in undergrad. Um, and they did the same then for uh, finance and um, innovation and um, strategy, I believe. So there were four of us that yeah, basically got told like, well done. Um, here's a trip to Belgium to go to Leuven um, and do a course. They covered everything and yeah, um, so it was unexpected, but that course ended up being probably the, the best time of my life. Um, and it was extremely eye-opening. Um, I mean, yes, in the academic sense, uh, I learned a lot about European business, doing business in Europe, and kind of um, laws there. And also, yeah, I think learned a lot about the whole startup scene and um, kind of the innovation happening in, in Belgium and surrounding. Um, but what stood out for me more was the cultural experience there. And I think that was also an experience that um, lit my interest in the beverage industry even more, because I think there's no, other, well, there's no country like Belgium um, with, with such a rich history and so many different beers, especially all the Trappist beers and also kind of the, the um, how long all of these breweries have been around. Um, so where we stayed was in Leuven, which is where the Stella Artois brewery is since, what's it, the 1200s or 1300s. <laughs> so um, it was incredible seeing all the, the beer culture and beer history in that country. Um, and that really, really inspired me. Well, mm. It still does, and I've been aching to go back ever since. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the so because that experience was so positive, I was very keen to to um, apply to do something like that again in my during my masters. Um, and I must say, Stellenbosch University um, supplies a lot of opportunities if you seek them out and if you're willing to go through the process. Um, so <clears throat> I was very excited then to continue my uh, courses and international journey as well during my master's. Um, and I, I was set to go to the Burgundy School of Business in France um, for a few months as part of my, my master's, um, which would have been, yeah, extremely amazing. Um, but that's when COVID hit as well. There were a few changes and delays, and then, yeah, obviously, ultimately, wasn't possible. But I, I continue to apply for more courses and um, exchanges. And I think only, I think after about three cancellations, uh, they decided to kind of reevaluate. Um, the whole summer school thing and only had very few on offer. Um, but I decided to still go for it. Um, still wanted to learn more, be exposed to kind of more cultures and work with 
a diverse international crowd. Um, and eventually it ended up, um, I ended up in a course at uh, VU Amsterdam. Um, and that was um, really, really helpful. Um, and I think it's been helpful now as well because that, that course was a lot about transitioning from academics to the real world. And um, I got the chance there to work with some really interesting people, um, also in industries that I'm really not used to. Um, the course was led by a young uh, PhD candidate who started a virtual reality company in Amsterdam, which focuses on um, helping people recover from brain uh, injuries or brain um, yeah, issues. So it was really interesting to do that. And yeah, I've kind of always enjoyed taking courses above and beyond what I do. Um, mm. So yeah, it's been really interesting. And I hope to continue that. Um, just don't have the backing of the university anymore now that I'm <laughs> graduated. But, uh, yeah, now you're on your own. Yeah. When, when I finished my university degree, I went to work in Germany. And through a contact, I ended up at Unilever in, in Bremen and managed to do a, a couple of months there. The one negative thing I found was that I was I'm an introvert and it took me quite a long time to warm up and and you know to be able to participate in conversations and everything like that so I found that quite difficult but uh, the experience of working working abroad is obviously wonderful and I think uh, if you are interested in the in the to stay in the beverage industry I read somewhere that Germany is looking for 50,000 Uh, people to work in the beverage industry now I don't know how many of those are, are marketing positions um, I did an interview with a guy who owns a distillery in Hamburg which is a fantastic brand and it's a young startup or well, they're employing interns all, all the time and I think that would be a wonderful uh, opportunity something like that they obviously all are selling their products online Germany doesn't have a liquor industry like we do they can sell yeah. their products anywhere so you don't you don't have those restrictions and they've got a wonderful story how how they launched their gin brand in in boutique stores only so they didn't sell it in the traditional channels they just went to boutique stores where a pair of jeans costs you know thousand yeah. rand and the gin is 400 rand or whatever um i think the i think there's a And especially because you can speak German, I think there's there's yeah. a lot of opportunity to work in countries like that, or at least kickstart your your career. If you want to be in South Africa, I think you have to. The chances of finding a, a corporate job are very slim, and I think you have to look at ways where you can create a service um, where where you can have a number of clients and do you know, create a little business. And there we obviously spoke about this. And again, it's, I think the opportunity is in the online space working with and understanding how people like take a lot and Amazon operate and really becoming a specialist in that. And all these brands that focus on making this stuff, 
don't necessarily understand how to sell a, how to sell especially on those platforms and i think that's that's a big opportunity but uh, one brand is probably not going to be able to to afford you so you'd have to get a whole portfolio of yeah. clients um marcus i also spoke to a friend of mine who is working in that space he's got he's bought a business and they're doing very well on take a lot at the moment and he's he said you're welcome to contact him and come up for for a week and uh, see what they do because i think that's the best way that you can learn is actually being in the room with people who are already doing that i think yeah. that i think it's a cell phone company that he bought and they sell cell phone accessories on on take a lot and very successful um that sounds great. yeah so that's available and um, the other opportunity that I thought of was um, Andre Pinar from Pinar and Sons said that his father is involved in manufacturing hardware for for um, de-alcoholized wines. And I mean, somebody like that, there might be some opportunities. I think most of his stuff goes overseas, but holding hands with somebody like that who's selling the equipment, and then you can assist with the marketing maybe there's an opportunity to um for you to get involved in that industry if that's something that you're interested in in pursuing all things that you've mentioned now really speak to me um the support and these ideas connections because i think as an unemployed graduate it's sometimes hard so yeah it's it's been it's really helpful to also speak to um people like yourself with a complete like a different perspective to what i have um and who are in different situations. Because I think it's been some really good potential ideas mm. coming out of that. So, yeah. Marcus, just in closing, and I did mention this in, to you in a previous conversation, and I want to repeat what uh, one of my lecturers at university said, that if you if you work in a, in a trendy or in a cool industry, yeah. don't <sighs> expect to earn a, a, a big salary. And I think... When I started as a as a beer rep um, in 1994, my salary was three and a half thousand rand, and the use of a company car. There was no commissions, and I was hoping, I was aiming for a ten thousand rand job at the time. Um, but with three and a half thousand rand, I could live. I could pay rent. I think rent was my first apartment was 350 rand. And uh, that was in Morningside in Durban. So that was quite an acceptable um, apartment. So just to put things in perspective. And I cringe when I see online people advertising reps, jobs, um, and they're still offering three and a half thousand rand. So yeah. it, is, it is very difficult. Um, but I'm more than happy to continue this conversation and we can meet up again and see if you need help um you know and if you need to connect with people i'm more than happy to do that yeah that would be amazing thank you um but i think you should <laughs> my, my gut feeling is you you should look out outside of the country companies are desperate for for people in in europe you're definitely right and um it's been a lot of a lot of people um, in the different areas I've looked in as well saying, extend your search, um, especially at the beginning of your career. Mm. 
Yeah. Again, I think if you if you can find a niche and you can specialize in that and you can make a living here, it's it's a wonderful wonderful place to work. Um, but it's it's really hard to find a, a formal employment. Yeah. 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 I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to tell you that. <laughs> Marcus, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, um, Marcus Filter is a marketing graduate from the University of Stellenbosch. He's based in Cape Town and he is looking for a job in the marketing space. And thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. It was really great to chat. Marcus, <clears throat> before you go, I just need to mention that um, later this week I've got an interview with david glückman and david is a veteran innovator in the drinks industry david left south africa in the 60s and moved to london and his he's got a number of products that he created and the one that everybody knows is he was the guy that created the irish cream category with bailey's irish cream and his book is called that shit will never sell because okay. that's the response he got from um when he when he came up with his proposal um the book is now available on on amazon you can download it as a kindle kindle book um i asked him he wanted me to to promote his book, but I said, unless it's an ebook, we can't do it in South Africa. It'll be just too expensive. So that shit will never sell. Um, an interesting book about innovation in the in the beverage industry. I'll definitely give it a, a read. Thank you so much for joining us in this episode today. That was Marcus Filter, a master's graduate from the University of Stellenbosch. My name is Holger Meyer and this is Drinks World.